people are, are more aware that actually the organizations they're sharing their data with may not have the best approach when it comes to security and privacy. So what we actually found um, when we asked you know, these, these um, participants in the survey was that the majority of them, 55%, said that they themselves feel they need to be most responsible for the security of their personal data. This was over you know, the internet service provider, mobile network operator, the government, law enforcement, manufacturer of devices. The majority of people felt that they had to take personal responsibility for their data. Coming up on the podcast today, we are talking to Dr. Jessica Barker, the co-CEO of Sygenta, because she's been working with Palo Alto Networks and YouGov on a survey of over 10,000 people worldwide, asking how they feel about security and trust and how we can empower people. Given the backdrop of Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, we all know how important these issues are as they face our industry. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly podcast with myself, David Savage. We debate the latest challenges facing the emerging digital and tech space and get insight from industry-leading figures. Whether you work in the space or you're just interested in it, this is the podcast for you. So today I'm joined by Robin Keegan. Back again. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Long day. I know, we had Josie and Jack on the show last week. Oh, how are they both? They're good. They took the mick out of me for going running in Tuscany. Tus- oh yeah, you did, in 25 degree heat. Well, yeah, Willow. it was early morning. Well, no, <laughs> because like your boyfriend, I'm running up a mountain <laughs> yeah. in 27 days. 25 degree heat, though. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Well, it's probably going to be like when we're running up a mountain in Switzerland. You think? Yes. Yeah, but... Rona get a lot cooler the further you go up. So you probably be alright. I don't think it'll be 25 degrees. <laughs> yeah, but I'll be standing at the bottom of a wall of granite. I can't believe we're about to go on tour of each other, Dave. Is that be, what it is? We're going to be in Switzerland at the same time. It's going to make me feel like I'm some kind of student again. Have you looked at the weather forecast? Because I haven't looked well, no, at it. No, it's 27 days out. I mean, for now, <laughs> what what is it averaging in Switzerland? Well, I don't know. It's probably more prevalent to look at what it normally does in September, right? Well, I'm surprised because if those who don't know, Dave is super organised and preps for everything so far in advance. You're so prepared for this marathon compared to Joss. You've looked at all the videos, done all the research, do all the exercises. Joss is younger and fitter, that's why. He get away. He's winging it. He's winging it. Anyway, this is a nice plug to say, go on to the Tech Talks account. Actually, if you go into the Tech Talks bio and then click on my Twitter account, there is a Just Giving link uh, at the top of my bio, uh, my bio so that's uh, dsavage underscore 1984. Please donate because we are running up a mountain. But uh, I think that we should get into today's interview. Go on, I'm which ready. Is more in, more inspiring than climbing up a mountain. Well, beg to differ. So impressive. I don't know anyone else who's gone up a mountain. Well, this this yeah. this lady is one of the top twenty cybersecurity professionals in the UK. Um, yeah, she so wins. Yeah, she wins. Not she many, wins. Not many of those. Twenty of them. <laughs> So today we're joined on the phone by Dr. Jessica Barker. How are you this morning? Delighted to be speaking to you. And you're joining us from 
Is it a sunny Gloucestershire? I, I shouldn't make the assumption this summer. It's, it's been so hit and miss. <laughs> yeah, it's sunny for now. But like you say, who knows? In the next half an hour, we could have a heat wave or we could have pouring rain. Your guess is as good as mine, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, we do, we do seem to be kind of swinging from one extreme to the other. Um, anyway, not why we, the weather is not why we've got you on the podcast. We've got you on the podcast <laughs> because, amongst other things, you've been named as one of the top 20 most influential women in cybersecurity in the UK. Well done on that accolade. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, the joke is that there's only 21 of us anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've spoken to over the course of this podcast more than that. No, um, no, but that, yeah. like, all joking aside, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, and you've been working on a piece of research recently, correct? I have, yeah. I joined forces with Palo Alto Networks. And through YouGov, we conducted a really large survey worldwide of um, over 10,000 people to explore kind of how people are feeling about cybersecurity and technology, you know, the idea of trust in, in the digital age, um, to really find out, you know, how people are feeling, how confident they are online, what helps people feel more confident, what we could do to um, empower people to have better security, explore all these kind of issues. And we had some fascinating findings. Yeah, no, I can imagine you did. I mean, I'd be very interested, first of all, just to kind of talk to you and say, or, or get you to define what security is, right? Because when you talk about trust and consumer, uh, but also mention Palo Alto, you mentioned Palo Alto, I think of firewalls. I think of B2B tools that keep a corporate, a corporate network safe. I don't necessarily think of at-home security that people would be familiar with. I mean, if you jump back kind of 10 years or so, a McAfee or a Norse antivirus. Well, I think the lines are blurring, aren't they? You know, they're, they're blurring in terms of how we work and live. Um, you know, even the idea of kind of a work-life balance is, is different now to how it was 10 years ago. I think people um, have a much more seamless approach to their working lives and their personal lives. So trying to draw a, a sort of fixed line between um, how people use technology for work and how people use it in their personal lives, it's much harder to do that now. I think it's accepted that actually work tends to seep into home life, home life tends to seep into work. And of course, that applies to technology just as much as anything else. Do you feel that people are educated, genuinely educated about this subject? Because some of the research, correct me if I'm wrong, said that people felt that they, they, they felt that they were reasonably happy that they were doing all that they could, but they would feel more secure if they knew more which suggests to me that people recognize that they probably don't know as much as they should. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what's happened with cybersecurity over the last few years. What we've seen is a, an explosion in kind of general awareness. I think people are aware of cybersecurity like never before. You know, it's in the news constantly. Um, cybersecurity is a common kind of um, story in a lot of dramas and films and, and things that we see in the media as well as, as dominating news headlines. Um, it's a very common subject to be discussed at work. There's lots of awareness raising training in organizations. It's a, a regular topic of discussion in boardrooms. So we've seen this huge rise in awareness of cybersecurity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that understanding has come with it or that people fully you know, feel educated and informed about 
cybersecurity, you know, as much as they could. Mm. And this came across in the research. As you said, we, we found on the one hand, um, 67% of people felt that they were doing all that they could to prevent the loss of their information online. And yet, 40% of people were, felt uncertain um, about how to protect their personal data to such an extent that it made them anxious. Mm. So people feel maybe that they're doing all that they can, but they know that maybe all they can do is not enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so really interesting to kind of find that that sort of um, almost opposition of thought or that, that, some, that to some extent confusion about what people can do and you know, whether they're doing enough and, and how we can help them do more. What, what steps can someone take? I mean, are we talking about the amount of personal information that they share on social or share with a corporation through a smart device? Say you're signing up to a new service through, through a voice controlled um, smart uh, home speaker now you, you're giving away quite a lot of digital information if you want to set up um, let's say uber so that you can use uh, you can you can tell alexa that you want to order a cab is that viewed as security in most people's eyes or, or do they still tend to think of antivirus protecting their laptops their devices How, yeah, it's a really good question. And I think that that question alone shows how things have shifted in the last few years. I think for most people, when they immediately think of security, as you say, they're thinking of, they're thinking of antivirus, they're thinking of passwords, they're thinking of their accounts online, you know. Um, so I do a lot of awareness raising training in organisations. And I find that people will ask me about their personal security um, just as much as they ask me about work security, to be honest. And the, the main questions I get from people with regards to personal security are around passwords. They are around, you know, maybe they feel like concerned that their Instagram or their Gmail or, you know, another social media has been hacked. What can they do about that? Um, phishing emails, a really big one. But what I have seen in the last year or so in particular is a rise in questions around those sort of issues that you bring up, you know, around things like Alexa, things like apps on their phone, um, IoT. So I think people are starting to consider those um, in terms of security much more than they were even just a year ago. Who do you think the responsibility falls to? Is it for you and I to wise up and to be prepared for the kind of world that we live in now? Is it down to organizations such as Facebook to do more, to you know, genuinely be a force for good, or is it a, a, a bit of a mix of the two? I think, I think it's a mix, to be honest. I mean, it would be fantastic to see um, the, the you know, technology platforms taking more responsibility for how data is managed and how it's used. That would be amazing. Um, and to see that happen would certainly be a good thing all round. But is, um, it, is it realistic? I mean, given, given the numbers of people on their platforms? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the, the purposes of those platforms and, and why these organizations exist um, a lot of the time is to collect and use data. So, and I think we're seeing a, a huge rise in awareness around that as well, particularly in the last kind of year or so, um, where people are, are more aware that actually the organizations they're sharing their data with may not have 
the best approach when it comes to security and privacy. So what we actually found um, when we asked you know, these, these um, participants in the survey was that the majority of them, 55%, said that they themselves feel they need to be most responsible for the security of their personal data. This was over you know, the internet service provider, mobile network operator, the government, law enforcement, manufacturer of devices. The majority of people felt that they had to take personal responsibility for their data. And then second to that was actually the internet um, provider. And interestingly, government came above the device manufacturer. So, so I think people recognize that there, there's this mixed approach to responsibility, but most people felt that they ultimately had to take responsibility for their own data. Last quick thing that I'd, I'd love to very quickly ask you on, it's slightly different tact, but you run your own consultancy, uh, Sygenta or Cy, Cy, yeah, I guess Sygenta. Um, how long has that been running now? Sygenta, we've been running for a, a few years. I mm. run it um, with my husband and he, he essentially is the red team and I'm the blue team. So he, he's an ethical hacker and social engineer. Um, so his background is all in kind of um, simulated attacks on companies. And I have always worked on the human side and on looking at how organizations can better defend themselves. Um, so we blend that approach to physical, technical and human security uh, in our offerings at Sygenta. Yeah, and, and this is what I was, I was going to ask, because I found it fascinating that your background does talk about sociology. Uh, and, and looking through uh, your, your website, it talks about the psychology and sociology of cybersecurity. And I know with, um, with governance, risk and compliance, it's very much about educating your users internally, in, inside your organizations, and getting people to think about security at work and at home. Has, how much has that grown over the last couple of years, that, that, um, that psychological aspect to this particular sector? I think awareness of the, the, the psychology and you know, the human part of cybersecurity has grown phenomenally over the last couple of years. Um, when I started in the industry kind of eight or nine years ago, um, working on the human side, I would have to often explain to people within the industry what that meant. You know, I would meet people, I would meet peers at conferences or events working in the industry. And when I said I worked on the human side, there would kind of be this confusion of like, well, what does that mean? Um, and luckily we're no longer at that place. You know, I think we're now at a point where the vast majority of people in cybersecurity would accept that the human element is really important. There's much more understanding of you know, what that means and, and what that encompasses, and also the importance of um, reaching out and educating people within organizations, you know, empowering people with security. And, and what's been fantastic to see particularly in the last year, is the industry start to move away from the really sort of damaging rhetoric that people are the weakest link. Mm -hmm. I think for too often when, when the industry looked at the human side, um, it would then be with this kind of very lazy, like, oh, well, people are the weakest link and, you know, you're always going to have people clicking on links and, and kind of that, that blame the user or blame mm -hmm. the human kind of approach. And luckily we're moving to a much more informed um, a much more intelligent approach to people and to humans and to kind of understanding that actually it's much more complicated than just blaming someone for clicking a link. And I suppose the wonderful thing about this, of course, is that 
it's broadening the church of technology, the, 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 the types of people, the diversity within the sector. I mean, you make a joke about there's only 21 women within cyber, <laughs> but equally, if we're looking at psychologists, then it offers, it offers roots in for people from all sorts of minority backgrounds to get more involved in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously that, that was a joke at the start. We have had a, a long problem and we still have an issue with underrepresentation um, of different groups in society uh, working in technology as a whole, in IT and in cybersecurity. Um, but I think that is changing. You know, if we look at, at women in particular, then we're seeing more women, I believe, entering the field. The latest statistics show that we do have more women uh, working in cybersecurity now uh, in the UK, for example, than we did a couple of years ago. So I think it is changing. Um, I do a lot of outreach with schools and universities. And when I go in there, I'm seeing more and more young women be interested in cybersecurity um, as, a, as a profession. And you're right, if we're looking at kind of diversity of background, diversity of thought, then certainly I think the fact that we recognize this field is not just about technology, the more we're drawing in people from backgrounds. I mean, in the last few years, I've met people working on the human side with backgrounds in psychology, in marketing, in behavioral economics, you know, all sorts of different disciplines that can bring so much um, rich thought and understanding mm. to this field to help us advance what we do. Yeah. No, I think it's fantastic because for a long time we've spoken about, you know, project management, business analysis, those kind of business facing technology roles being the ones where you can kind of bring a slightly broader um, kind of skill set to the, to the tech sector. And I, I would have thought that most people looking from the outside in would imagine that cybersecurity is not one of those that is broadening out. So it's great to hear that that's actually not the case. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for spending some time on a, on a Friday uh, morning to do so. Um, I hope you have a lovely weekend and uh, on, onwards and upwards. Good luck with, with any other awards that you're uh, entering. And I hope uh, Sygenta continues to go from strength, strength to strength, rather. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and I hope you have a great weekend too. Okay, there, there's a few things here that I just stand out to me as being really... Uh, fascinating contradictions almost uh, and when when we go on to talk about you know how can Facebook reasonably ex be expected to police their platform um, and Jessica makes the point especially when the reason that they exist is to collect data there's a really interesting tension and contradiction there we are asking this absolutely massive platform to self-regulate in um, to, to a better degree, but we know that they exist to collect data. So why would they regulate in such a way that stops them doing that? And I think in that situation, I find it absolutely nuts that only 55% of people, according to this YouGov piece of research with Palo Alto Networks, only 55% of people think that they ultimately have to take responsibility for their security and data. Mm. I think with Facebook though, it's, I get there's a massive contradiction between both avenues, but it's, it's how it's how they're very conscious of how they're they're using that data and and what they're using it for. I mean, with the whole incident with Cambridge Analytica, right? It was purposely targeted in a way. But people, do you mean users being responsible for their own security of it? And you think that should, that that burden should be on Facebook to well, look after? Do, do you ultimately who do you think is responsible for your data online? 
What, overall or just, just for Facebook? No, no, overall. Um, oh, I think it's 50-50. I think you do have to be careful what you put online. There's certain things you wouldn't put on certain certain websites and certain information you wouldn't release. Like, I'm not going to go on Facebook and just put my bank details on there just, just because. Well, of you course. Know. But I think, I, think it's, I think it is really 50-50 um, on, on the user itself, having that common sense, but also the the organisations and websites that you're that you're using to put those mechanisms in place to ensure these breaches are not happening. You see, maybe I, I get that Facebook have a responsibility to look after their users. Of course, mm. maybe I'm being overly cynical though. I, I I'm surprised that only fifty five percent of people believe that ultimately it comes down to them because whether you like it or not, there is this contradiction at the heart of Facebook, which is they are a company built on data. Mm. and the strength of their data and ultimately they want more and more and more of your data and even if they are trying to protect the data that you give them they want more data so they can't be trusted and their platform's too big their yeah. platform and it's it's not they can't be trusted because they're going to act maliciously i just they they've got what 2.2 billion 2.3 billion users that's impossible to police mm. and in that oh scenario you have to be the one that takes responsibility because you can't trust that they will even if they mean to. I know, but it seems a bit backwards, doesn't it? Trying to get people to use a platform but saying, oh, but if you're not careful, it's all your fault for using our platform. It sounds a bit ridiculous. I think the responsibility for them should have been, as, as they were growing and expanding, to put these checks and balances in place to do so. I'm surprised there aren't more external bodies doing more about it. Like When, when um, Mark Zuckerberg had that court case did, did you see some of it and the questions mm. they were asking they didn't even understand what they well, the were Senate, asking the Senate hearing yeah, yeah, yeah. The they Senate didn't even hearing understand what they, were, what, the, what they were asking but I think there are definitely other consultancies and firms that can be put into place to, to monitor certain areas and offices and departments of but what with private doing. interests yeah yeah yeah. and and you can't trust I mean I found it was fascinating again in, in the uh, in the survey it states that Governments should be trusted over device manufacturers. Like governments have been shown to be inept. Yeah, I know, but then kind of private and public have both have their cons, <laughs> don't they? Which one do you Which trust more? Comes back to the point that ultimately it has to be down to you. Anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, sort of. I just don't think I do think it's unfair to blame a user for using someone's platform. Like there needs to be that they need to find a way. To, to put to pocket size data protection in, in in all aspects of it, have bigger teams, bigger offices, more and people. Maybe I am being lazy. I, you know, she said <laughs> that it's a good thing that we're moving away from people being the weakest link. That it's a lazy argument. You know, blaming the human because they clicked on the link. Yeah, yeah. Actually, can I just say, I, I thought I was um, really tech savvy to recognise these phishing scams you get. But I got, so my Instagram got hacked recently. I don't know if you Did saw it because you followed me. Yeah. Wake up in the morning. <laughs> and and um, Yeah, you do. <laughs> Always <laughs> posting about your runs. That's how I know you're doing the marathon. <laughs> Go on. Um, I posted. No, I didn't post. I got hacked. I woke up in the morning and someone had hacked onto my account and posted a promotional shoe discount code on my Instagram page. And I feel messaging me saying, this is, a, this is a scam. Like, why have you done this? Like, well, clearly it wasn't me. So I deleted it straight away. Thinking, how did that happen? So I never click on links. I haven't typed my password anywhere. And then I went on to my emails, and I had an email from Instagram saying, "Oh, someone has someone's gotten into your account. Click here to change your password." Uh, so I was like, "Well, someone has gone into my account. This must be Instagram, because you know, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram will notify you if there's a suspicious login." 
Um, I thought it was that. So I was like, well, my, ha- my account has been co- compromised. Clicked on the link, changed my password. And I got an actual email from Instagram a day later saying that was a scam. Like, yeah. you've, you completely compromised I, I think the account. thing is, it's important that you set up, like, you know, she's asking, she, she said that the majority of people ask about password information mm. and, and savviness there. Two-factor authentication. Like, I know. don't just put a password in there. Also, put in there that it sends a text to your phone or whatever else. Two-factor two yeah. authentication is such the such easy a step forward thing. to make sure that you protect yourself. I Skype got hacked twice then, essentially. Someone actually got into my account, then, then my password was... I don't know if it was the same person or it was a coincidence, but I've never, I, I've, I never fall for these things. And they, they got me this time. And I was like, oh, you, you God. You can't say never any <laughs> more. Say. And what about this other contradiction? 67% felt that they were doing all that they could. But 40% felt that they were anxious due to the lack of actions that they can take to protect their data. So mm-hmm. a large proportion of people think they're doing everything that they can. But equally, a pretty large proportion of people feel anxious that they can't do more. Well, what can you do, though, apart from security your password and change it well you can you can you can limit the amount of data you're putting online you can be quite savvy you can do two factor authentication as we're saying there is there is stuff that you can do but i do feel that there is we we work in quite a tech educated environment Mm. and are i know i've got gray hair but of generations that have grown up reasonably with 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 a lot of digital products Mm. where i i imagine if you are a little bit older in a less affluent place where technology is not so prevalent it it could be bloody scary yeah i I just wouldn't know on certain things like what i would have to do more of to make my account safer like i i get phishing emails like all the time you get people messaging you about scams it's just like well in like the, the heightened era of data security and breaches you think that these things would become less and less but like outlook i get it all the time like that hasn't slowed down or stopped so it's just i'm not doing anything different or, or wrong and i don't really know what else and, and there isn't the education behind it to say okay you could do this this and that apart from adding a number and a letter and a, and a what's what's the word i'm looking for like an exclamation mark or question mark to your password like that's it that, character that, yeah character that's it there we go that's like what you know like people don't really advise you to do much more than that sagenta dr jessica barker get a hold of robin keegan social influencer you've got you've got a new customer <laughs> yeah, clearly she I'm, doesn't know what she's doing i just don't know what i'm doing i'm like how <laughs> do these people but i mean I guess as well when you're growing up and this is this is the bad thing about growing up with technology you are just throwing around your data so much when you're younger clicking on links you don't know about like I remember when I was a kid wanting to play on loads of computer games on the computer and probably putting in my email address in so many different places that probably shouldn't have been that have come to haunt me 10 years down the line so I think growing up you're and being younger you're so much more exposed to all these things yeah it's just hard and hard to regulate and I don't think you realised just so much data you're putting out there because it's not going to be in one mass go it'd be oh on a shopping website putting this thing here my preferences in this thing here like people on ten on tinder my preferences here going on hotels.com like i want to see this and that and it's all it's all gradual and then it all builds yeah. up and then your ads are all targeted people are email, emailing you it's you know like your phone's listening to you it's just you don't but really basically realize. what you're saying is there's a problem it's just hard to regulate <laughs> yeah okay fine yeah, there's a wins. problem <laughs> yeah right with that, I think we will go to our break, but stick 
with us after this short interlude we will be back with a quick piece of tech news for your monday evening stroke tuesday morning given that this is going out a little bit later than it normally would it's nearly the summer holidays but school isn't quite out because General Assembly, a pioneer in education and career transformation specialising in today's most in-demand skills, have an offer for you. So GA offer a wide range of programmes in web development, data science, user experience design, digital marketing, product management and lots more. And for you, for our listeners, they've got an offer of 25% off their classes and workshops by applying the code TECHTALKS25 at the checkout. There are some terms and conditions. They asked me to rank them. Frankly, that's not going to happen. But I can tell you that the code is valid until August the 31st. And it's not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Once the code's applied, workshop tickets are non-transferable. The discount code cannot be retroactively applied to workshop tickets already purchased or used in conjunction with other discount codes. One thing, as a former technology recruiter, I can tell you that there's a real shortage of some of these skills in the market. So, with all this beautiful weather that we're having, I reckon there are far worse uses of your time than getting down there and doing a bit of continuous learning. Welcome back to Tech Talks. The question that we are asking ourselves in the second part of the show, has Tinder lost its spark? Um, well, I've only ever used it once. Thank God. Oh, well, that's, that's probably, according to this this article, that's probably saying positive things about you. Wait, okay, go right. on. So uh, the article basically says that on paper, it's a great time to be a dating app. Um, uh, so basically, it's gone from fringe novelty to romantic ubiquity. Within two years of launching, it was seeing a billion swipes a day. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a lot of swiping, <laughs> right? a lot of swiping. Um, however, a new study published last month in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships was less positive, finding compulsive use made swipers feel lonelier than they did in the first place. This was particularly bad for those with low self-esteem. The less confident someone was the more compulsive their use and the worse they felt for it. A negative cycle of swipes. I just, my problem with it was, I just hate texting people. Like, I'm just, don't, don't reply. <laughs> I get these messages. I'm like, well, this is pointless. Well, so you'd swipe and then get a text and, never, and ghost Ignore people. Ignore it, yeah. <laughs> you cruel, hard, you are destroying egos. I had it for about, I had it for about two months back in the uni and I was like, this isn't really for me. So I just, and I prefer meeting people in real life. Which is so. left and right? Uh, is it right? I don't know. I mean, this is supposed to be like cultural I am the now. wrong person to speak about because I, like, I Bumble, thought it had been like Hinge, Tinder. I've only ever used Tinder. Like, I've got people we work with. I'm like, oh, show me your profile. How does it work? I have no idea, but I'm, I, I'm quite... Surely you don't have a profile now. No, I don't. I'm that just... would be an awful revelation. <laughs> Jock poor Joss listening to the show. <laughs> well, he, he used to use all those apps. Has he still got a profile? I bloody hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I think like there's so much competition now. I think when Tinder came out everyone was talking about it you know before that it was just more websites like plenty of fish and whatnot and Tinder was its own simplistic thing that people could really get their hands on but now there's so much competition with all these different apps you're seeing advertisements for more and more like you know but those are the three main ones that I can name but I've seen plenty of more I do think it's interesting I mean it was talking about the fact that the industry um, basically it's gone from this fusty image and it's been replaced with that Instagram worthy blush pink branded kind of ethos mm. basically 
there's more and more pre- because it's now cool to use online dating you've got to look insta fabulous I guess when you're on it yeah like I used match I met my wife on match.com oh did you but when online dating was distinctly uncool and the picture that I put of myself was me having not showered for two weeks camping in Yorkshire <laughs> drinking a pint looking a bit of a mess and her picture was her I think hung over pointing at a sign that said chaos you were made for each other yeah um <laughs> But it, it's not probably the images that people would stick on Tinder, if I'm right. Yeah, I think for these type of things, you, you want to look your best, don't you? That's why you're, you're on there, because you want to find someone to be with. But maybe you want to, maybe that's part but of yeah, the But yeah, this to... is, and this is, why, this is why, another reason why I couldn't get on with it, because I feel like a, a lot of these people were either catfishes, or there's some people like in, in real life that you'd find attractive that you wouldn't necessarily find in a few in a few pictures. That's why I found quite difficult about it. it. Was like, well, you know, you don't know their personality, like what what they're like, or what you have in common. It's just a picture, and I found that quite hard to grasp when I was using it at the time. So I thought, well, this is just a waste of time. I don't know these people. I just see yeah. them from a picture. Like they probably look and act completely different in real life. Whereas you know, so I think the main thing that I think about of all these apps with Instagram, with you know these Tinder profiles, is that. Don't get too caught up on it because a lot of these people don't look like that in real life anyway. So why should it bother you? <laughs> like you know, like you, you. But it's true. You go on these apps and you see like countless of beautiful women and men, like stunning. But in real life, how many people have you actually seen that look like that? That major head turn. I think I could probably count on two fingers in my entire life. Two fingers, two hands. In my entire lifetime, like how many people have met, you know, met, yeah, that have been like, oh my god, they are stunning. My wife tells me that Hugh Grant is. Hugh, mm, no. Do you know mm, who is? In real life. Leonardo DiCaprio. Been 1997, Leonardo DiCaprio. Titanic. Have you actually seen him in real life? No, but you just know. No, so my wife's seen Hugh Grant in has real she? life. Has yeah. she? Has she said? Yeah. Like, oh. He's amazingly handsome. This was about five years ago. He has like those I think he's beginning to look a bit old. though, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, look, your, your solution is quite close to the solution that the article comes to that basically says, log off when you've spoken to nine people. More than this, <laughs> and we're cognitively overloaded, leading to romantic fatigue. So lonely hearts out there, nine mm. people only, please. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, I see these all out, out here on, on their desks and just like, hundreds of people they've matched with and they haven't even like had conversations with most of them you want to hope that their boss doesn't listen to this well it's just like yeah well I haven't named any names so it's right. I'm not going to do that right I think that should bring us to the end of Monday's show thank you for listening Uh, if you've noticed a slight improvement in the sound quality we're using a lovely blue microphone product placement Uh, (laughs) but until Thursday ciao ciao